Welcome back to the Bitcoin Podcast. This is episode 293. That's right. Doscientos noventa y We should start thinking about what we're going to do for 300. Get drunk. And that what we were doing? All right. Cool. <laughs> well done. I like that. Well, I don't know. Should we do something special? We, we don't really we have. Could do, we, any... could, we could do go back to the 10 episodes, get drunk, talk. I like it. It's fun. I like that. Maybe we I could mean, bring someone in. We should try to get someone in that's like somewhat of a big name to get drunk with us. Do they have to be a big name? Like, well, I guess we could try. Well, like they need that. to be able to participate in the conversation reasonably while drunk, right? Like, mm-hmm. so they have to at least be like knowledgeable within the space and have an opinion. And you get them drunk, and then the opinions get like wild and, and ill formed and stuff. Think, do you think with our lucid network we could swing for goon do you think goon likes to get swifty i don't think i think they're in a position where he's not willing to do that socially mm. right maybe if they were already established and had the fanfare that they're looking for when being after ava launches that could be something but i doubt that's going to mm. happen i just noticed your your status uh koozie yeah dude well it's a it's a yeti koozie but got a status sticker on it I'm I'm Ball. I'm uh I'm buying into this. <laughs> going, Can you, going full in status here. Is it too early or is it not too early? It's too early. Okay. Um well, well, let's see what we could do. Alicia, I know you're listening. Maybe we could swing for a big a big swanga for episode 300. We got about 8 weeks to plan, so we should be able to get something special here for the audience. So, anyways, this is the Bitcoin podcast. We talk about Bitcoin shit and crypto <laughs> crypto shit. And right before we hopped on, uh we used to have this like mantra. I think we still have still the mantra. Do. I think I still st- sign emails with it. Yeah, we still have the mantra, but we we stopped looking at it. And that is adoption is the only thing that matters cuz literally it is the only metric that matters. I was on Twitter two weeks ago, three weeks ago, and I tweeted my auntie texts about Bitcoin per year is the only metric I need to see where this space is going. And so whenever my aunties start texting me and they're like, hey, what's going on with Bitcoin? I know like, oh, yeah, something we must be making happened. waves <laughs> because let me tell you something. My aunts watch Judge Joe Brown and go on mall walks. So if they're here... <laughs> They're hearing about crypto. 
then we must be doing something. Hopefully, it's not illegal shit. What are mall walks? You know how old people go to the mall and walk fast because they get exercise and scenery? You never seen that before? No, man. I haven't tapped into that world yet. Well, if you're ever like, <laughs> I have to, uh, GNC is mostly in the mall. So I go to the mall and I try to go like on my lunch break. And if you go to the mall during lunch hours, you're going to see an old person in a sweatsuit getting their speed walk on. Uh, <laughs> and it's like, it's like, a, it's like how they get their exercise in. All right. I, I believe you. I, just, I wasn't aware of that. Actually, I went to the oh, mall yeah. the other day because I had to. I don't not, like malls. No, I need to do I. Not fun. Well, what, how do you like one? Like, why did we stop talking about it in the first place? Right? Like that was our, our adoptional mm-hmm. is the only thing that matters yet. We don't talk about it for the past, I don't know, 100 episodes really. Yeah. Because I think if we re- what we realized or, or what is that like adoption isn't this thing that is easy to define because it's different for every single person. And it's 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 really hard to define, so it's really hard to like build a roadmap for what it's supposed to look like. Do you remember what we how we used to define it? Like when we started the podcast, right? Mm-hmm. When there was nothing but Bitcoin, really. What like why did we come up with that as our basically like mantra for a long time? It was it was a part of our intro music. And mm-hmm. Like, what did we think it was? Like, what, what did we mean with it back then? I think back then what we meant is that everybody will be using Bitcoin all the time for all the things. Did we? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, man. We, we, were, back, we were all about it. Like, at least setting the stage back then, that was the point in time where if you said the word Bitcoin, no one knew what you were talking about. Yeah. You were like, it was like, what? What is the word you just used? I've never heard that word. Stop being a crazy person. And today, Bitcoin. Fast forward five years, that's certainly not the case. Everyone knows the word and has yeah. a kind of an idea what it's about. And because they have kind of an idea, they also have kind of an opinion. So it's like, okay, if this is adoption, if adoption is a uh, pop culture thing, then Bitcoin is being adopted very poorly. Uh, if, if, if adoption is everybody actually using it, then Bitcoin has adopted has has been adopted very poorly. So but it's not it's one it's not you know uh, like it's not di- it's not a dichotomy it's not on or off adoption it's definitely a scale right and there's stages to it. Yeah. I mean if we if we just look at where we've come from when we started in terms of public awareness or knowledge of even its existence and some amorphous idea about what it's about and think about where we were when we started and where we are now, that's some type of adoption mm-hmm. because there's a lot of technologies that never even come close to reaching that. Now, yeah, there's a lot. we're certainly not at a point where everyone's using it or really understands the reasoning behind it or it's not the back end of like business to business deals or there's all these things that we thought may end up happening, which still some of them may that, that certainly have not. But if we would just like, there is some, there's been massive adoption just in terms of awareness. Mm-hmm. Why? Price? 
Yes, obviously. I mean, the awareness thing is is because of the investment. Um, uh, it's obviously because the investment opportunity. That's it. That's people see it making money, and eventually the money speaks for itself, right? And then you know people start to try to trade, and like I don't know, is it that that's that's just the way people mostly hear about it. In fact, three months from now. Uh, when the price probably goes up about fifteen hundred, and it's it's getting close, it, or it crosses that ten thousand threshold for the fifth time. I don't know in the last three years for Bitcoin that is, and people are gonna hear about it again, and they're gonna I'm gonna get those texts from my auntie and my pops and my mom and my friends from middle school, all the above. That's what gets people involved and aware, and then once they realize. After they peeled off that layer of price and there's some real shit going on, they usually put that layer right back on. And then I'm the person <laughs> that they come to <laughs> to decide if they need to peel the layer back more. Yeah. Right. They're like, ooh. Yeah. But wait, like that's just, that's- in the same vein, um, we've come a long way in terms of good resources people can go to to learn about how to conduct yeah, themselves. Yeah. We have better tools that people can use to conduct themselves in terms of like wallet technology, availability of intuitive wallets on on mobile phones, uh, mm-hmm. more options for hardware devices that are easier to use, but still not okay. Like there, back then, there weren't even seed phrases when we started this podcast. Mm-mm. Like when we start, I think we started the podcast, I'm not even sure there were HD wallets. They had just come like a minute, like a month or two after we started, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is great!" Yeah, I want to say then, Jax was the first was the first like wallet implementation to really take HD wallets mm-hmm. and run with it because um, they were the ones that started doing multi asset wallets when Ethereum became larger, and you had multiple Bitco. coins across the thing. Bitco did it before Jax, did they? Bitco, because that was their claim to fame for security, was that they do HD wallets. Oh, okay. Well, then I'd say Jax utilized it for a, a multi-coin purpose, using the same using the same seed phrase across multiple chains to derive keys yeah. in multiple ways. Jax did that really well, but then Jax fell off hard. Well, they, they did, I wouldn't say they did it really well. They did it better than anyone at that time and then stopped. Okay. <laughs> Oof. Remember my myetheriumwallet.com? That was I thought that was genius. I think it was, it was my like ether a wallet. Web-based. My ether wallet. No, no, no. My ether wallet is still a thing, but before my ether wallet, the team Jack's team Oh had yeah. Ethereumwallet.com. I know a lot of people that lost money at that place because they just forgot yeah. the link. Yep. <laughs> and it literally said the link is the private key. Don't forget it. And everybody was like, oh. Fuck that. Open <laughs> <laughs> some of my bookmarks. Yeah. Um, it was that website that made me start to see how powerful this could be. And I was like, holy shit, this tab is my wallet. That's fucking next level shit. And when I showed it to some people, they were like, wait, what? And I was like, yeah, it's going down. But we kind of adoption. <laughs> yeah. Adoption. And so I really had a deep thought about this on the when you spend four i don't know six hours a week 12 hours a week actually on planes you know when you're close to the gods Corey, get that radiation you're flying high close to the gods and you look out and you see 
what's that little fucker who has wings on his shoes? A kill, uh, Osiris? No, that's the sun guy. Osiris is not uh, the sun guy. He's an Egyptian god. Yeah. Uh, the, Icarus? Yeah, when you look... No, I think Icarus is a Nintendo character with wings. Icarus, I, I believe, is the guy with wings on his shoes. Okay, well, you look out the I'm airport and you see Icarus, and you think to yourself, why don't more people do this? No, I'm kidding. It's not that deep, but... I was thinking about technology adoption just as a whole. And when you look at when a new technology comes around, there's a there's a small group of people that embrace it. And then in that very small and there's a smaller group of people in that small group of people that profit from it. And then there's a smaller group of people inside of that profit group of people that use that profit to better everyone. And that doesn't change. If you look at all internet, automobile, computer, plane, the fucking tire, like all of them go that route. And then if you if you zoom way, way back out and you think like, what's the percent of the human population that's using this tech? It's usually not even very that large. And then you think of what's the percent of the human population that is using this tech as an integral part of their life, that's really not that large. So like how many people like myself are flying across countries just to do business and then flying back to their home? Not a lot. Like probably more in historical perspective than ever before, but not a lot of people are using the ability that I could wake up today and be in another city that's thousands of miles away and work the week and come back thousands of miles like that is unheard of 150 years ago, but not many people are using the ability to do that to better their life or at least be a part of their life. So when it comes to technology adoption, just in a, in, a, in general, we, we have to start having realistic. I, I profess about having smart goals, specific, measurable, attainable, realistic, and timely. Are you serious with that stuff? That's what I do. The businessman is there. Yeah, goddamn right. Business business consulting, giving people acronyms. All right, cool. All right, I'll give it to you. That's fine. Keep going. How can we have smart goals for this crypto shit? Like, we got to be realistic about it. If it's gonna be money, if it's gonna be money, then it has to have a government blessing to force everyone to use this technology. Because if you're not forcing them to use it, they're not gonna. No one forces uh, people to take planes. So well, they that don't. depends on what we call adoption, right? But like that, that depends on what we call success. Uh, first off, it's Hermes. We were way off. Hermes has the wings on his shoes. I told you, Icarus is a Nintendo character. It, it, Icarus is, is the son of Daedalus. He's also a Greek god, so. Oh, word? <laughs> yeah. Does he use a bow and arrow? Uh, I don't know, I got it right here. Icarus oh, is the son of the master craftsman Daedalus, the creator of the labyrinth. Icarus and his father attempt to escape from Crate by means of wings that his father constructed from feathers and wax. Icarus felt flew too close to the sun. Mm, That's okay. that guy. That's that fucking guy. Okay, so let me anyway, dial it back. Right, okay, Maybe let me, let me, don't let me go need back a government though. blessing. I want to say, like, uh, in all the examples that you just said, in terms of massive adoption, um, 
how did they get to the point where it was available to everyone in such a way that they could use it? If you think about just planes alone, and I'm trying to think of the compromises or decisions you have to make in the process of going from uh, some technology that serves a small group of people to a technology that serves a much, much, much larger group of people or all people. At some point, changes have to be made and mm-hmm. maybe the ideologies that push the original idea get uh, nerfed a little bit where because everyone doesn't care about those ideologies or else the technology would already exist because it would have to. Mm-hmm. Right? And like, it has to commoditize at some point. Like, in order to do some type of commoditization, I don't know. I think maybe industrialization comes into play here, or there's there's some compromises that have to happen in the process of going for serving a small group of people with a very specific group or set of demands and needs to everyone. And that usually is a trade-off of ideals, maybe concentrations of power, uh, function, like feature set, like like complexity, things like that. Like all those things kind of take a hit depending on who you're serving it and how it's made and how available it is and layers in between that absorb some of that risk and complexity and then reserve it in an easy absorbable way to someone who doesn't give a shit. That's what I'm talking about is like an example of that, uh, even within the cryptocurrency ecosystem is building Bitcoin and it having its complexities and difficulties and risk and responsibility of holding your own data and keys and value. Um, and things built on top of it to make it easier, like Coinbase. Mm-hmm. Like the bottom layer still exists and we're making it better. But yeah, I agree with you. But the most popular thing and what some people consider a scaling solution is Coinbase, which is a private private database. Coinbase. Coinbase. I had to do it. I'm never not going to do that. Uh (laughs) And so like, I think more stuff like that will end up happening in order to serve a broader audience. But what's nice about what I've always said about this is that you, those who care, those who have those original ideals, those that need a specific functionality without KYC or AML or cross-border payments or something can still use the base layer if they want. They they have the option to take their money out of the custodial services or the, or the uh, things built on top, which change the ideals and feature set and bring them down to the lower layer if they want to. How do we ensure or usher that the people that are opting out have the same level of life, just life that the people that don't like it's in the States, it's becoming increasingly, increasingly hard to opt out. And Coinbase, if you use certain wallets, you can't even like send money in a Coinbase nope. or a Coinbase or some certain services are like, don't send me that Coinbase shit. And we'll know if it comes from Coinbase. Uh, it's the opposite too. Like if Coinbase will, will censor you depending on whether or not they know the coins that come to or from are going to illicit services. Yeah. And man, they have like to. Like, and, and, that's, and that's the thing. That's that's an inevitability that will happen in any jurisdiction that has laws. 
if you build a company that abides by laws in order to pay its taxes and be a participant of whatever government that's in and whatever jurisdiction it is, say whatever you want about the rules and regulations around that. But like, if it is to survive in that jurisdiction, then it will abide by the rules. Mm-hmm. And that's an inevitability, period. You can't, you, there's nothing you can do to get away from that. And so what's nice about this is the underlying technology is not subject to those jurisdictions. So it can be used globally. It's just the people who end up needing to opt into various services within their jurisdiction will have to abide by those rules. Yeah. But like what's governing the actual thing, the value does not. And I think that's really, that's a really important distinction to make. Because mm-hmm. you, can't, you can't control the thing if it's not governed by it. Yeah. And that's kind of like, I think it was about a month ago, I asked the question in the Slack about, um, are middlemen inherently bad? Why do they have such negative connotations in our specific industry that we're in love with, I guess? And And I don't think they are. But then I started to think about like the roles middlemen, like for instance, everything that we take advantage of, just because it's my life and I do this a lot, like when I push the button to buy a plane ticket and it's taking that five seconds to load and buy the plane ticket, I'm like, how many fucking services are putting my information right now in different databases, linking that shit together just to spit out a smiley face to me to say confirmation, you've got your plane ticket, you're good to go. Like there's security agencies. Yeah. You show up, they'll say okay and not go away. <laughs> yeah, like that's like there's so many middlemen in that. Pro- it's going to government agencies, it's going to private agencies, it's going to banks, it's going to this, it's going to that. All that, all those middlemen talking together, boom, just to make sure I get a smiley face and an exclamation point and the and the assurance that I'm going to be on that plane that I want to be on. Like that. That's that to me is like okay. I think what it comes down to is like, are those middlemen taking advantage of the power that they have is the conversation where we take it to. Yeah, that's definitely, that's definitely what we're changing, right? Middlemen aren't going away. It's um, the ability of the middlemen to take advantage of the power that they have or to even care about it for that matter, right? Like all we're doing is in a lot of ways through the, like through these networks and smart contracting systems and software that we're building is creating autonomous middlemen. Things that take care of all the stuff middlemen take care of. So for instance, like a particular service could become, or a smart contracting platform or whatever, could take Bitcoin and process whatever desire you want, depending on what jurisdiction you're in, make sure everything that happened is abiding by all the rules, and then give you a confirmation. If you need to, if you need to operate within a certain jurisdiction or like, it's like some framework that sits on top of Bitcoin that allows businesses to understand what tax burden they have if using Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, right? Mm -hmm. And so this can all be codified and programmed and then work autonomously and not give a shit about who's using it. It's the rules check out or they don't. And so that end, I got a question for you. How is Bcash doing zero confirmation transactions? Are they using like a special kind of cryptography to assure that if the transaction is communicated 
to the mempool, then you can accept it as finality. I don't know. They, I don't know the details. I think uh, I know they're using Avalanche or Snowman or whatever they're calling it um, as a, as a, as like a overlay protocol for handling specific types of transactions or confirmations around transactions or something. Right. Um, and so they, I think they're coming to an agreement and like a, like a side network around specific transactions, which then eventually get put into blocks. Uh, that, that, that's what intuitively makes sense to me, but I don't know. Okay. I know, and okay. I know, I know they're using some form of avalanche within the network in order to come to agreement on some something. I think that's what it is. I'd have to look further. Okay. Because avalanche like, is really uh, quick, right? Like the consensus protocol around what's yeah, good and what's fast. not is very fast. So if you can do zero confirmation, that that's that's a this kind of game changer because then businesses can do business. Well, I mean, all PBFT does zero confirmation. So Cosmos, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of those change that, that do uh, F2 will have a similar thing. And so like, there's no probabilistic finality. So the way Bitcoin works is that um, as a block gets older and older and older, well, proof of work in general, you have more confidence around the fact that it won't be changed mm-hmm. um, because of the way a block is found and the unlikelihood that someone can redo that work and more work uh, to make what like a, a heavier chain, which everyone else would agree upon. Uh, so that's just a, it's a it's a product of how the consensus work. Uh, mm. Other forms of consensus don't do probabilistic finality like that. So like when a block is made, it's made. That's it. It's it's final immediately. That's what Cosmos does. So you don't have this like uh, forking behavior, waiting a bunch of confirmations to make sure it works, and so on and so forth. But they suffer from other types of issues with uh, number consensus. It's not just like a one size fits all type thing. It's funny that the, the rules that we're imparting in this technology, should it become massively adopted, are going to have actual physical changes in the real world, like how people behave. Like, for instance, if, imagine if everyone did adopt Bitcoin and you had to wait for three confirmations, like going to the grocery store would be a daily like <laughs> people be like, all right, we're going to the grocery store. We're going to try to get all these groceries sorted out in the first 20 minutes we're there. And then, you know, we'll go to the coffee shop for the last half hour. While these yeah. That's are. never, that would never work. Right. Like that, that behavior would never work. And what, what most people yeah. would said when they do the whole, like uh, buy a cup of coffee with Bitcoin type of thing is that uh, the, it, you have, it makes people think about the risk associated with what they're doing a lot more when you think about buying something with Bitcoin. Because mm-hmm. if I'm buying a cup of coffee, like I don't really need the receipt, and I don't care. And the, and the, and the and the like if you if you can see the zero confirmation transaction in the network, you can assume I'm not going to spend that much work trying to double spend it. Yeah. And the overall risk associated with accepting zero confirmations at that value. Is relatively small, so you can do business there without caring about zero confirmation transactions. But if you're talking about buying a house, you're going to wait a long time to make sure that transaction is solid mm-hmm. in, a, in a lot of blocks. Mm-hmm. But like that, but like like you said, it's interesting to think about that because it is a product. Like having to associate 
risk with transaction is somewhat of a byproduct of the fact that you have a number of confirmations until like a confidence interval about moving money. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, that's, if anything, that's, I think, okay, now I just had a flashback of five years ago, me. I got excited about adoption then because I realized that not everyone lives under this guise of complete financial security. Like we're very spoiled and get to, and like. You say we as in Americans? Yeah, in the okay. States. Like it's stupid, silly. I could get five credit cards right now if I wanted to. I could just pick up my phone, apply, 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 apply. Boom, I'd hit my five limit of hard inquiries on my, before they start dinging you for hard inquiries, get all five of those credit cards, boost my credit score, cool, go to the bank, take my dick out. Like there's like, oh, maybe not, (laughs) but we just have this level of financial security to where like, you know, even at the airport, they're like, that'll be $15 for two bottles of water and uh, some pretzels. And I'm like, cool, you need the receipt? Hell no. Like, on a fifteen dollar purchase, I don't give a shit about the receipt. I'm just like, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll I'll deal with this later when I look through my finances and find out I've spent eight hundred dollars on water, on bottles of like, water and pretzels. <laughs> yeah, I'll deal with this later. Yeah, but so it's, other, it's it's so weird. Go ahead, keep going. They can't operate with that level of security. Like if they if they go do something, they're like, are these dollars even fucking real? Like, goddamn, like. <laughs> I know I like this person, but this is a, this is the first time they come in here with like a bunch of twenty dollar bills. Like, and these twenty dollar bills are from the eighties. Fuck, like, mm. yeah, this man, might not work. you're right. Like, and it's <laughs> it's so strange trying to sit on this like pedestal of convenience and prosperity and talk about what adoption is for Bitcoin because the majority of it that really matters right now is for people that like we can't relate to in a lot of ways. What's well, yeah, a stat that I, awesome. that I've learned recently when um, talking about like marketing material status is like s- such a massive amount of people across the globe, like live uh, with like on like less than a dollar a day and they're under 18. And mm. like, they like even in in America they they're not they don't have access to banking services or money, and so when you think about when that's your livelihood, every cent counts, transaction fees count, the volatility of your money counts, in terms of just feeding yourself and putting a shelter over your head, and like and so like that's who this technology is really 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 useful for right now is allowing those people to conduct, just just live a better life with more confidence around whether or not they're going to be able to feed their family or themselves and pay the bills on time. Mm-hmm. And well, most, yeah. most of what we talk about is like investment opportunities, um, whether or not people get the idea of digital currency. Like, I don't know. It's, it's, and, and don't get me wrong; it's useful for those things. There will be there will be a rebuilding of the traditional finance market with this technology. But is that is that the adoption we mostly care about? I don't know. Like, is they're they're not mutually exclusive either. They're not, and it's it's really tough to come to a consensus on what adoption is supposed to look like. 
But while we're talking about consensus, <laughs> we should probably <laughs> slide on into the interview. It was such a forced transition. <laughs> it wasn't that forced. It was a little. It was all right. It, it was all right. All right. So uh, today's interview is with Ava Labs. If you haven't heard about Ava Labs, you've been living under a fucking rock. Uh, that, no, I'm kidding. Um, maybe I don't know. Maybe you live under a rock. Shit. Um, but they're working on their their. I guess their challenge is like, hey, blockchains aren't the best thing for consensus. There's other math that exists. Uh, I don't like the way you said that. It's not, you don't like the way I say a lot of things. Blockchains before. have nothing to do with consensus. I'm going to say that. Okay. Cons- consensus around what the blockchain is saying. Okay. I'll give you that. There we go. So they say, hey, the way we build the thumbs up for if that blockchain is right or wrong is is stupid right now. And we're we're going to change that. We got this area of mathematics that's way sexier than Satoshi Nakamoto used. And we're going to throw this sex on y'all's lives with this avalanche protocol. Um, so we interviewed the co-founder. His name's Kev. So we're going to go to that interview right now. Uh, here it is. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another uh, Bitcoin podcast interviews. Uh, and today, I mean, we've got an exciting guest of Alva Labs. If you've seen them on the Twitter machine, they've been going to town. I know <laughs> I have. Um, but we have the co-founder of Alva Labs, Kevin Seknich. Welcome, man. How 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 you doing? Thank you for having me. Doing good. Doing good. Uh, so... I guess, man, we're going to run through this like we always do. And like, can you, can you introduce yourself to our audience and then like what you were doing prior to crypto and then what happened once you fell down that rabbit hole, we like to call it. And then like, why, how'd you end up at Ava? Like, just give us the background story. Like, yeah, for sure. For sure. For sure. So, um, I have been in crypto for a long time uh, at some point in uh, my late uh, high school, uh, right before college, it was just a little bit of time after uh, uh, the original, you know, client came out first. So maybe 2010, something. I'm forgetting the exact year. Uh, but I discovered this client that Satoshi had written, released it on some really obscure Reddit thread back when Reddit was just basically basically Alexis O'Hanian and Spez talking to each other. Um, and they were talking about this, uh, this cool little tool that was, uh, able, uh, to allow anyone, uh, to, uh, to send money to anybody else across the internet. Uh, and this money was native to the system. So it was this magical internet money as we've, we've heard it. And I thought it was really cool. I started getting involved in it in the early days by, uh, actually mining, uh, a bunch of Bitcoin. So some of the really early blocks are mine. And at some point, I uh, forgot about it. Um, I had mine a bunch, but uh, uh, unfortunately, I was one of these sob stories of actually losing my keys. Uh, so, um, you know, there's oh, a no. blocks, uh, yeah, gone, uh, early blocks uh, of mine gone. Um, 
so uh, I, if I had those keys, I would totally troll the space and move the keys around. Be like, yep, that's some of those that's Satoshi's moving them. Uh, but unfortunately, <laughs> I don't have those anymore. So if I did, that, that'd be a great trolling, uh, trolling uh, story. But uh, so then I became, I went to um, undergrad and I started getting involved um, pretty deeply in uh, in research and cryptography, and nothing really to do with uh, cryptocurrencies. And um, I was involved in uh, things like fully homomorphic encryption and so on. Um, and uh, I always still, in parallel, had some affinity towards, you know, digital money and, uh, you know, both of the technical aspect of it and the financial aspect of it, um, but never really got involved in the space um, until I sort of got into my PhD. And then even then, I wasn't really involved in the space. I was just purely as a researcher on various aspects of blockchain um uh and uh did some research in there here and there at some point i met actually Gun as well which eventually uh led us to uh, uh to do a bunch of things together and uh at some point about two years ago i actually started getting involved more into the space itself the crypto space uh the cryptocurrency space i should say and um i always came at it from a sort of technical and uh uh, you know, finance-oriented background. Um, so I've never really been, uh, I wouldn't call myself a crypto OG, even though I have been in the space for a very long time, just because I am not, I have never really been part of the crypto subculture. Let me call it that. Uh, just sort of always loved it uh, from the sidelines, but never really been involved in it. So uh, not never really contributed, just always kind of lurking. So it's only really recently that, um, uh, you know, I got involved uh, in it on uh, a first-hand basis. And um, how did I get involved? Um, so, um, you know, we, we started at this research project. We were at Cornell. We were trying to, uh, you know, sort of from a distributed systems perspective, uh, not really just build a new cryptocurrency. We couldn't really, we didn't really care about any of that. Uh, we weren't really planning to do that. We just wanted to build something that was fundamentally really new, uh, not an improvement. So we wanted to build uh, a new consensus protocol that was just very different from everything else out there. And um, we sort of got down to it. We started thinking about, about really innovative ways of reaching consensus at a global scale. And um, it, it's kind of like one of those hobby projects. It's like, you know, I don't really have a goal here. I just want to see what I can kind of like come up with. Um, and, uh, you know, we worked uh, uh, and eventually something materialized in this new family of consensus protocols, which uh, uh, was initially called Avalanche. I'm not quite sure what it's branded as now. At some point, we'll need to actually properly brand it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, it's it's this conglomeration of various different protocols, and uh, but they all do something fundamentally different from everything else out there that we've seen. And um, you know, as as uh, as distributed systems researchers, we've sort of analyzed the taxonomy of uh, of these protocols, and really all of them fall under these three families. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, Bitcoin being one of these two fam one of these three families, and the Avalanche being the the latest one. Um, so uh, at some point we said, look, we have this great technology. Uh, we can actually build a real product out of it. So we built it in house before we did anything related to to Ava Labs, the company. We were uh, we were building it uh, at Cornell just as part of our research team, uh, purely as as uh, you know uh, you know me, Ted, and Ted Dian, co-founder of Ava as well. We were all PhDs. We're just sort of building this out. Um, initial uh, uh, first client. And then uh, at some point when, when it was actually sort of materialized into a real code base and we actually ran it into a real deployment, we were like, whoa, this thing works. This thing is actually really cool. It was the bare minimum uh, that you need 
to actually get a, a full-on cryptocurrency because we didn't have things like staking and uh, membership uh, changes and so on. Just the basic thing. You, you initialize a new network, you run it in a, in a robust environment uh, on many nodes, and it was super, super fast. And so we were like, look, we can actually build something really cool here and actually compete with, uh, with the rest of the, of the projects in the space. Um, and uh, so that's how we sort of started on the business side. And then at some point, we, uh, we realized that we really, really did not want to just be another crypto uh, currency. We wanted to be something really cool, something that we could be proud of and say, look, we fundamentally changed a really big area. Um, and uh, so, you know, finance is the biggest thing that, uh, when I say finance, I really mean broadly speaking, money is, is something uh, that, that can really fundamentally change with these kinds of systems. Um, and when I say these kinds, I really mean systems that, um, you know, are open uh, to, to creation and management of scarce value. Uh, that's, a, that's a really interesting concept. And uh, being able to encode contracts, any kind of contracts between any parties in an open way that is transparent, that is uh, that has more importantly has open APIs where anybody can any developer can go there and like look at these APIs and build really cool things on top. Um, that fundamentally changes a lot of things in finance and money uh, because money has not changed at all, right? Like two thousand one came along like big. You know, dot-com era came along and it changed a lot of things. You know, there were all these available APIs and you could build all kinds of cool uh, websites with all available data everywhere. Um, but none of this sort of fell down uh, the stack and into finance. Finance world is just a super archaic, super outdated uh, uh, ecosystem uh, of effectively what all it is, is just a bunch of contracts that holds special conditionals and uh, that have some inherent money attached to them. So uh, that's sort of what we really wanted to change with, with what we were building. And uh, eventually what Ava became is this, uh, this platform for the issuance of blockchains and for the creation of assets and this really cool ecosystem, uh, which is yet to launch, uh, but hopefully will soon. Yeah. And that's, uh, that's sort of like our vision, at least. That's what we're trying to do. All right. Let's talk about, real quick, I want to give you my, my dumb layman's term of how I think Avalanche works or Snowman or whatever the, the ended up branded consensus protocol works. And it's yeah. if I could boil it down, you got a group of people that are all participating or like who, in a network, right? They're just in a network. And there's this piece of data that I want to know if it's, I, I get it and I want to know if it's good or not. Or like there's a decision that needs to be made within the network. Typically, I guess all the cartoons in the early days were uh, picking between red and blue. And what 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 the network thinks the right answer is is it red or is it blue? So what I do is I pick random people in the entire network, a subset of them. Maybe we'll call it five, and then I ask them, is it red or blue? They all give me an answer. I take the I take the most I guess the the the, the highest weighted answer. So if three people say red, it's now red for me. I do this multiple times, and eventually I'm going to keep getting the same answer. And probabilistically. After a certain amount of times, I can assume that everyone has the same answer. If everyone does that, that's that's the general cool. gist of how this consensus works, which is different than any other distributed consensus we have right now in terms of like classical consensus and Nakamoto consensus. Is that a good summary? Uh, absolutely, with some small caveats. So, um, yes. Yeah, so, effectively, 
the the really interesting thing about avalanche style protocols is that they achieve global consensus based purely on local uh, estimates of what the actual consensus is. This is the really sort of like nice property. I can just observe my local environment and based on my local environment, uh, I can come up with estimations of what everybody else is doing so without really having to take care of everybody else. Uh, this is the this is the really interesting thing. Uh, but the one thing that you mentioned, which is that regardless of what happens, you sort of reach consensus. Um, it's it's uh, it's it's slightly stronger than that. It's more of like you know under certain cases it will reach consensus in you know very quickly. But regardless of what happens, regardless of if you even have Byzantine behavior and you have some really bad guys trying to prevent, uh, trying to make you think that your local state is something different from what the global state is, uh, they will not be able to do so uh, except with m like negligible probability. Uh, and that's that's really the, the, the key here. So we can build super high value systems, you know, that hold billions of trillions of dollars of value uh, because you know, the probability of, of any misbehavior, uh, really double spending or any of the bad stuff is, is so negligible, even though you're just dealing with local state. Uh, that's, that's really where, where, the biggest, uh, where the biggest advantage of these protocols come in. Um, and this is in stark contrast to uh, the other families, which do require sort of global, uh, at least one of the, the two requires uh, a global uh, uh, estimation, not estimation, but global view of the network, which is which is prohibitive in very large networks. Hmm. So I, I guess like what's the threshold? You know what I mean? Like or I guess the threshold has to scale obviously with the number of participants in the network, but like at what percent of people that come to consensus is it like, yeah, we can just assume that that's how everybody thinks or that's how yeah. everybody's gonna vote. Great question. So uh unlike for example something like Nakamoto. So Nakamoto has a, a you know has a lot of great stuff with it, by the way. Um, but one of the things that it doesn't have is that it's not parametrizable in how big your threshold is. It is. It happens to be that, you know, at most fifty percent of the system can be Byzantine or it can be adversarial, uh, and you can't change this uh, to any other number. Well, let me just sort of simply say you can't change this. Uh, that's sort of the short answer. But with avalanche thought protocols, you can actually parameterize this to whatever you want. And you have two things to consider. Uh, do you want safety or do you want liveness? I was recently on a, on a sort of a small little rant on some Telegram group uh, in regards <laughs> to this, uh, where you know, we were discussing whether, you know, what, what, whether safety matters or liveness matters. And if you're trying to build uh, uh, these kinds of systems that are have very high value, safety is the only thing that matters. Uh, at least in my view, uh, well, it's not the only thing. It matters much more rather than than liveness. So, in in Avalanche, you can parameterize the system to have, you know, say, tolerance against eighty percent adversarial. Like as long as just twenty percent is correct, then they still can't, you know, the other eighty percent still can't force the minority to uh, to double spend. Um, but at the down downfall of liveness, so you have much lower liveness as you would if the safety was lower. Then that's a fine trade-off to do because uh, you know Bitcoin, for example, uh, Bitcoin always prioritizes liveness over safety, and that's kind of bad because if you have a partition in the Bitcoin network, uh, you can have two forks that look perfectly fine, they continue operating, and there's a total violation in safety. 
but in avalanche stop protocols, these will shut down. If there's a partition, there will never be any progress being made. So the system will effectively just halt, uh, but there will never be any double spends. So you can really just crank the safety up as high as you really want. Well, not as high as you want, but you know, up to 80% is a reasonable number to crank it up high. Uh, and uh, and you're you're safe against anything, really. So you're saying like when when Bitcoin does these weird um, kind of forks that happen all the time, in the sense that two people come up with a block at identical times, um, that segments the network until the next block is found, in which the other, like whichever one happens first, and this happens like you can't continue that chain for very long because probabilistically one of them will come up with a block first that'll reach the network and then everything else will just automatically switch but for that short amount of time you have the network basically completely splitting the security meaning the hash power into two separate forks until something else is found in which they aggregate back together yeah and they will at some point aggregate back together as long as there's no network partition meaning that like let's say you know Europe gets entirely disconnected from the U.S. or something like that, and half the hash power cannot communicate to the other hash power, then those two forks that you mentioned can actually continue in perpetuity, and they can never resolve back together. Can you give me an example uh, or they w- of like what type of physical thing would need to happen to remove their ability to communicate blocks to each other? Like how can yeah, that so there, partition actually happen outside of like so, Russia turning off the internet? <laughs> Good question. So uh, realistically speaking, I uh, I wouldn't bet much money on such a global scale uh, thing happening. Um, however, uh, you need to realize that the way that Bitcoin works is that because it just prioritizes always liveness over anything else, then what you can happen, what can happen uh, is that a small subset could be partitioned away from the rest of the network. Mm -hmm. And that small subset would continue operating independently of the larger part of the network. So you can have, let's say, you know, a country be subs, you know, sort of cut off from, uh, from a larger part for a few hours, that country will continue operating internally and will continue potentially accepting the transactions, but anybody else outside is on a completely different fork. And so at some point when, when the internet is, is reconnected, uh, there is a lot of blocks that will be invalidated. So any, you know, there isn't really double spends, but what you thought you received is going to be now thrown away potentially. Yeah. Uh, so true. that can happen all the time. That's, that can happen all the time in Bitcoin. Now, a full-on global half and half split, like, you know, all of all of the US, uh, you know, operates independently of all of Europe or, or China, very unlikely. Um, but, it, you know, these kinds of continental breakdowns, they have happened. Uh, in the past, uh, there was a recent case, not super recent, but a few years ago where, um, sort of, uh, the, the, I think Korea and a few other countries in that region got completely cut off from the U S for a few hours, um, because of some intercontinental connection issue. So this can happen. Um, and in a protocol like avalanche, uh, this just, even if this were to happen, all that would happen as far as the protocol goes is just no confirmations happening at all, but, uh, nothing is actually being double spend or no reversals, nothing. So I know I know a little more than the average Joe does about Ava Labs and what y'all are up to. Um, I'm kind of curious what 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 questions D has in a lot of this stuff. Yeah, uh, like I guess what I'd say is, how are you guys positioning yourselves? Because I I concern myself a lot with like 
what the outside world thinks about. Like I've almost tapped out of crypto Twitter just because it's just complete <laughs> nonsense. Like every day, all day is just nonsense. And so I'm living in the out, quote unquote outside world. I'm a double agent right now. <laughs> so from the outside looking in, when people come to me, they're like, oh, you're the Bitcoin guy. And I'm like, not quite, but you know, I'm into it. And so when they think about Bitcoin, then they start, then they find Ethereum and then they find there's thousands of tokens and then their eyes start bleeding. Right. So how do you guys position yourselves is like, cause every other token that comes around or every other project that comes around is the Bitcoin 2.0 or the Ethereum 2.0 or the, yeah. how are you guys different? What, what no, makes brand? Great. Yeah, that's a great, it's exactly what I said at, at some point in my very long monologue in regards to us wanting to differentiate uh, and make something cool. Uh, no, so if if technology, like rather, uh, you know, implementation details are the only differentiating factor within your company, within your project, uh, that's oftentimes not going to lead to large success. You really need to have something that people want. You really need to have something really cool. So we think about that all the time. Uh, we are not Ethereum killers, so this is not really what we're trying to do at all. Uh, that, that, that's a that's just not in our in our in our roadmap. Um, you know the way that we 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 think about uh, what we want to build is in you know we we craft our platform to the desired specification based on what we think is what people want, and that is you know things like uh, uh, in DeFi and so on. Um, I really like so if I can jump into the more concrete details. Um, I sort of alluded to this earlier that the financial world is pretty damn archaic in the way it's constructed. Uh, let me give you an example. If you are a, uh, a bank in the US and you're trying to uh, issue some debt instrument to a client, which you, can, you want to then encode the following condition that doesn't matter what happens to me as a bank, I want X entity X, Y, and Z to be paid out first before anybody else. Then the way to do that is you take in that contract, you create a new special purpose vehicle, a new SPV, you spin that out of the bank, you move the contract into the bank alongside any debt obligations into this new SPV. You continue this until the debt obligations are cleared out, and then you do the dissolution of the SPV, all to be able to just encode this one conditional. Effectively, the entire financial ecosystem is if spaghetti code went on steroids and was all, it's just a bunch of like legal contracts on top of legal contracts to amend other legal contracts with new entities and so on. Whereas instead we can just transform this entire thing and say, look, screw it. We're gonna reinvent the entire thing. It's just basically pieces of code that are that are entered into, into agreement with special parties and they can transfer things of value. This is all there is. And so we're building a platform that allows exactly that. And what does that look like? Well, it's not a coin. It's not a, a single blockchain. It's an ecosystem where you can be private. You can you can be a bank. You can issue new uh, sort of uh, private blockchains uh, within our ecosystem. But you can also be a public blockchain. And you can issue new ones on our ecosystem as well. So you can bring in, you know, Ethereum, for example, and you can spin it out as this what we call subnets within our within the Ava ecosystem. And that's one permissionless blockchain. Uh, it supports the entire EVM. You can build your own functionality, so you can build your own virtual machine, or you can also bring in, uh, you know, you know, your bank. You can bring in all of your contracts, spin them up as within the same uh, uh, private blockchain, 
But the key thing is that everything is interoperating within each other within the Ava ecosystem. So you can have all the contracts that have been digitized by you know Citibank. They interoperate with uh, with DeFi applications that are launched on Ethereum. They can interoperate with uh, really anything else. So now what that means is that capital flows are as easy as emails. I have capital. I want to deploy it in X, Y, and Z. And these are, you know, it can be any contract. I can create a new contract that says, um, okay, if, uh, you know, the outcomes of a, of a specific, uh, like it can get a new contract that specifies some prediction market. I can create, for example, a new contract that specifies interest rate changes of, uh, of a country. I can say if the interest rates of a particular country change by this percentage uh, uh, over this year, then I will take a hedge position against this. Anybody that wants to take a hedge position against me, go ahead and do it. Uh, these can all be encodable as easy as just like a piece of code that goes out there that is auditable and everybody can take positions and can interact with this piece of code. This is like the ultimate you know, way to create frictionless moves of, of capital. Um, and that's effectively what we want to affect ultimately be. We want to be this one platform where if you think I have a contract, I have a, a, a something of value and I want to trade it and I want it to be available globally, Ava is the place to go. That's, that's, that's really what we want to do. Uh, this includes, of course, DeFi applications as well, because DeFi's are effectively uh, collateralized debt obligations, CDOs, in, in, in some way, We're, you know, being reductive here, but this is effectively what they are. But they're, it's perfectly fine. Uh, they're, in fact, probably better than regular CDOs because they're, at least they're auditable uh, in a lot of ways. So um, that's just one class of, of, uh, of, uh, of contracts that, and, and assets that we want to support. Uh, so that's really how we differentiate. We're, we're, uh, we are a, a finance play ultimately uh, because we think this is where the biggest value for these kinds of networks really exists. Uh, I don't necessarily think that, you know, uh, you know, just any arbitrary dApps are where, where the, the big value for these systems are. Uh, applications are applications. They don't necessarily need to be in a decentralized fashion. So if I want to play a game, I don't need to be on a blockchain. If I want to do something with AI, I don't need to be a blockchain. It's just really things here that are that are beneficial is in really just transforming this archaic legacy system in finance into a into a new world where i can just create contracts like this move capital flows really easily while also by the way very importantly obeying lots of restrictions and a lot of lot of rules so this isn't just the wild west um you know we really want to obey uh any rules and regulations that that uh, they need to be obeyed i think so go ahead dude. i guess i guess a softball Technical question would be if you guys are handing out blockchains like Oprah hands out cars, uh, what are you going to do with all that memory? I mean, the, the Bitcoin blockchains has got some hef hefty, it's, it's, it's getting heavy, and Ethereum's blockchain is putting on weight like, I don't know, my 600 pound life. So, what do you, I mean, if everybody gets a blockchain, and uh, I mean, that's going to be a lot of memory really quick. So what, what's the solution to that? Yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely. So um, we, you know, when you deploy a new uh, application on AWS, you're not actually, it's not everything is going to one computer on AWS. Uh, that would be crazy. Imagine if like all of AWS was just one computer and everything that was built on AWS just went through this one machine. This is effectively mm -hmm. the model that, for example, something like Ethereum has currently or Bitcoin, it's just one machine. This is the abstract thinking of it. Uh, now the Ava network is a network of blockchains and uh, you get to choose which set of validators you want for your blockchain. So when you spit up a new blockchain, you get to say, okay, if it's a public one, 
um, uh, I'll borrow from the larger pool of validators of the Yava network. Uh, and anybody that wants to validate my blockchain, you should validate it because maybe it has really good economics attached to it. Uh, so you're gonna, you, you know, you have a lot to to gain from being a validator. Uh, but it's it's not a shared memory model, so it's really uh, application specific blockchains here, um, or, or feature specific blockchains. Okay, I, th- I think a um, a question that more technically savvy or knowledgeable people in the space would have is what you described as what the ABA platform is and what your play is and how kind of the broad high level architecture of it sounds a lot like Cosmos and Polkadot. <laughs> uh, great question. Uh, I know I'm, I'm, I'm going to be asked this a lot. Um, mm-hmm. So Polkadot, <laughs> I'll take the lower hanging fruit first, which is the, the Polkadot one. Uh, Polkadot is shared security model. Everything will need to go through this one central station. It's uh, Polkadot. It's more similar to what um, uh, what ETH two uh, security model is. Uh, so this is very different from that one. Cosmos one. That's uh, that's a much harder uh, fruit. Um, much much higher hanging. So the Cosmos. The critical difference here is that um, uh, uh, the way that Cosmos is currently structured um, is that you know you technically don't have to go through the one central hub uh, to validate anything. Uh, but if you do have uh, cross-chain uh, transactions in uh, Cosmos, they will need to go through the hub. So as long as your zones in ho- in Cosmos are um, are not interacting with each other, then they don't have to touch the main uh, global chain. Um, whereas with us, this is not the case. Uh, so we we do not we do not have this 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 model. Uh, really, when you do a trans when you have a subnet interact with another subnet, these two subnets they share the responsibility with each other and nobody else. Uh, so it's, it's a very disintermediated model. It's very decentralized and not, it's not the right word. It, decentralized, distributed, I don't know, I'm not really sure what the right word here is. Uh, but as far as the abstraction, which is that Cosmos allows you to launch blockchains, that's true. Uh, it's, it's a similar abstraction. Um, however, critically at the code base, um, we support this notion of building arbitrary virtual machines, um, whereas Cosmos allows sort of a shim layer framework called BPase, but it doesn't really allow this as easily as we do. Um, uh, but although I haven't uh, uh, dived too deep into it. Um, and uh, yeah, otherwise, Cosmos is probably the closest, uh, uh, the closest model that, uh, that we have to, to Ava. Cool, thanks. That's it's, it's, I think there's I never heard a quick explanation of the differentiation between those models because they all seem very similar, especially to someone who doesn't know deep technicals of all of them. Yeah, absolutely. No, I mean I think from a yeah, it's they try to overuse words to sort of outcompete with each other, and I think uh, they end up effectively not doing each other a service. They end up uh, sounding the same, um, and you know to some degree we. You know, I, you know, I, we thought that we were cool in thinking that application-specific blockchains was not taken, and then it turns out that Cosmos absolutely exactly uses the same, <laughs> the same thing. They literally say application-specific blockchains, and so uh, we had to detract from that. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but Polkadot is is more in the ETH two family, not in the Cosmos family. Cosmos, Cosmos is really probably one of the most sensible, most straightforward, probably best uh, architectures out there, in my opinion. Hmm. So, like, ultimately, what you guys, it feels like you're trying to do, I guess, to me is, is, is like, 
this is a new like base layer, right? Because you hear about Bitcoin and there's layer two in Ethereum and it's got layer two. What well, there's lightning. What's layer two in Ethereum? Well, like Omise Go is using it. Plasma. There's a few different implementations of quote unquote layer two inside Ethereum that none of them are really scalable and working. But you guys are like below that, right? You guys are like on the bottom. We, you know, if you want to launch a blockchain, you can bring technically Bitcoin into into Ava and launch it as a subnet. So we are this this framework for launching blockchains. Uh, yeah, we're somewhere in between layer zero and layer one. <laughs> the obvious, oh, I think, what what I always wonder about, especially with projects like this that are up and coming, um, potentially significantly novel, um, how do you get people to go to it? Because like there's a network, there's a networking effect of like think about like the the developer pool inside like basically being consumed by Ethereum, in my opinion. Porn. Sorry. <laughs> obvious obvious <laughs> use there. Uh, like how do you get people to switch? How do you get them to come over? How do you get people to build on it? How do you get that? How do you start building that network effect? Um, great question. Um, th- there's a few things. So as far as you know. Let me sort of stay within the confines of the crypto walls and say, you know, do we want to take a piece of that pie? Do we want to really fight for a larger piece of that pie? Um, and, you know, potentially. Um, and uh, part of what we've done is build tool sets that are, first of all, super backwards compatible. Um, and second, we don't, you know, sort of reinvent the wheels here. So other projects have done this constantly and is to their detriment. They've built new developer tool sets, new SDKs. New things that are just, you know, developers will have to relearn. And uh, that's just super detrimental. So, you know, we, for example, allow you to, if you want to build Solidity style stuff right away with Ethereum, it's already available. If you want to import Wasm, which we will, uh, that's also going to be available. So it's super compatible. Uh, but otherwise, it's really going to be about, uh, and something that, you know, we have done, for example, Ethermint hasn't done is just bringing in the entire Ethereum state. So have the entire tool set that is available to Ethereum at much higher scalability available today. Um, although there are some problems with the EVM, so uh, it's not like, you know, thousands and thousands of transactions per second, but it still scales further than ETH and it's available today or will be soon available, uh, probably earlier than ETH2 will deliver. Um, now, really we are more concerned and we don't want to be an Ethereum killer. We would like to support our own DeFi. Uh, we are going to build our own, you know, similar to what currently exists in DeFi in our own platform. Uh, but ultimately, uh, look, if for, for all frank, you know, to, to be totally frank, if you were to grab everybody and their uncles and grandmas and everybody in crypto and you were to actually accumulate all the money in it, I do not think it would realistically cross a few billion dollars. Uh, disregard what market caps say, uh, what is actually into crypto is not a large amount of money. Uh, serious money has not moved in. Um, nor will it really move in anytime soon because the, the space is not mature enough. It's, it's not really solving a problem. I mean, ultimately, the finance guys, you know, they want their problems to be solved. And uh, Bitcoin does not solve the financial guys' problems. Like, it doesn't solve any of the, the, these bigger problems. It maybe solves the problem of how do I pay for some drugs right now uh, really quickly, maybe. And even then, it's not the greatest thing. Uh, but otherwise, it doesn't solve other, other big problems. Uh, so something that we really are doing for our benefit and likely speaking for the benefit of the entire space is uh, is on board and really think hard about real problems to solve in finance and uh, and go after those and bring those guys in uh, and then grow from there. I mean, yeah, we just really want to grow the pie, not really 
be an Ethereum killer. Um, but of course, you know, we do want attention from developers. Um, and, uh, you know, we just want to be developer friendly. So that means backwards compatibility. That means having tools that they're already familiar with, like Remix and all these tools that literally work out of the box with Ethereum. Uh, so, you know, you, you can use just a faster version of Ethereum, uh, which is, which is kind of cool. Uh, but ultimately that's, uh, you know, maybe not going to be the biggest selling point, um, because just Ethereum is not suffering from scalability right now. Uh, it's not the biggest, uh, it's not the biggest issue. Mm. I think it doesn't solve any other problems because originally, uh, it wasn't that Bitcoin was trying to solve finances problems. Bitcoin was trying to identify that finance was the problem. Uh, so I think I think that's probably why it's not solving any of those problems. I it, it's de- no, it definitely finance is a problem. There's no question about it. Um, and I think, as I mentioned, you know, finance is this mess of 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 uh, our, uh, analog uh, spaghetti code on steroids. Uh, it definitely needs to change. Um, and uh, Bitcoin pointed fingers, but it offered no solution to anything. Uh, so uh, I think the entire crypto space pointed fingers probably. Uh, but while trying to point fingers, I think it was just too lost in the weeds. And we're now just at a, at a par- point where everybody's just bickering on Twitter. And, uh, you know, whatever. It, Udi Wertheimer single-handedly trying to take all of Ethereum down and all that stuff. So it's, it's just a whole mess. <laughs> So I don't I don't know what we're currently are doing. Yeah, Ethereum has bigger problems right now than scalability, like Udi Wertheimer. So we'll see we'll see how that goes. Do you find that you have to spend way too much time on Twitter when you work in crypto? I guess that's for both of you guys. I would love to do nothing but never go on Twitter. It's so draining. It really is. Uh, so like, I just want to build I, I, products, man. I just want to do that. <laughs> I can, but here's the problem: that if we don't, if we don't grab some attention, you get the you get you get the kiss of death. So you get a, no attention. There's space, a marketing so. aspect to to some of it, and I understand that 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 part. Um, Twitter, in my opinion, though, is not a serious place. It shouldn't be treated as such. Um, it can, it has Absolutely. serious consequences: gaining attention and clout and understanding from a user base that wants to know what you're doing is good. Um, mm-hmm toxicity is not good and so that should be a little more lighthearted and fun and I, I everyone can agree other than the people who are um being very toxic I, I i totally agree and i have been for sure very uh uh very guilty of uh of of being not not i've never been toxic but I've, i have for sure called out uh, uh certain things especially on the ethereum crowd which again i love the ethereum guys uh you know they're, they're like why well, are you attacking ethereum no i'm not i'm just pointing out like very obvious things that they're doing wrong and uh um I, I just i just unfortunately put it very bluntly i don't try to dance around the issues i just be like look there's an issue and just everybody look at it so uh, are you sure you weren't a uh, physicist when you were going through academia because that seems like the the, the physics approach to <laughs> Uh, I actually, I actually, almost, yeah, I actually almost got a uh, an undergraduate degree in physics. I didn't finish it, but no, funny that you should mention. I I do have physics background a little bit. <laughs> yeah, every single like conference or um, seminar I would go to, uh, like the guy, some some person would come give a talk about their research. They're like the expert in this particular extra yeah, specialized yeah. field of some nonsense, yeah. and they give it, it, it. It's all very bland presentation slides so on and so forth good you know yeah. scientific stuff and at the end uh at, at like 
infallibly someone would raise their hand and basically start the sentence off with, um, I'm not an expert in this, but let me tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> and in some cases, like, groups of people yeah. would then break off and start talking about why they were wrong on a, on a chalkboard next to this person and just completely ignore whatever the hell the, the, the original speaker was talking about. Uh, so yeah, that's really, I mean, I would never... <laughs> So this is very different from what uh, the the the, uh, academ- the the CS academia is. Uh, in, the, in CS, you can make the worst presentation, and people will just not say anything and applaud at the end. The next person, uh, but uh, no, I mean, I don't think I have ever called out. And I'm pretty sure I've never called out anybody unless I I knew what I was doing because I don't like you know if I swing, I don't like missing. Uh, so uh, it, it's really bad look if you if you swing and miss. So uh, I definitely don't like doing that. So every but every time I've called out, it's been like, look, I, I can clearly tell that uh, either something has been hidden um, purposefully, or uh, it has just not been addressed and it's an issue. Um, and I think I've just done this with Ethereum uh, because I know Ethereum the best, not other projects. Which now seems that I hate Ethereum. But if I were to actually get into like God, like Tron and something like that, or any of the projects which I know nothing about. <laughs> Tron is here, not by the way. Time, but I'm sure I would be doing nothing but bashing them. I'd be like, "This is crap! Like, what is this? Like, this, none of this is this is good." But um, I just don't have the patience to do with any of those guys. Only Ethereum, and so it turns out that Ethereum is my scapegoat for whenever I call out certain uh, certain things that are wrong. Okay, is there there is a token right for Ava? Yes, yes, and. Uh, it's it's yeah it, it's there it's I, we think it's very elegantly designed in in sense of uh it doesn't really get in there in anybody's throat it's like a very uh functional token for various aspects that you you might need but otherwise you can in fact potentially disregard in a lot of in a lot of ways so if i have a token i can access all the blockchains or just the one that my token i guess it depends i guess has permissions to yeah, it's it's all yeah permissioned. Uh, if you have permission, then you can interact with any blockchains that give you permission. Is there like a golden token that has all the permission? There is no golden token that has all the permissions, but the Ava token is as as sort of close as it gets to it, um, and that one is used for securing things like permissionless networks and for providing atomic swaps in the network for uh, you know sort of paying for certain fees and so on. Uh, but otherwise, it's just this really sort of vehicle for a bunch of functionality. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like every every subnet or blockchain in Nava has its own local economy, so its own local token. Do you guys have? Do you have like um, the I guess parameters of what that token is, like issuance, distribution, so on and so forth, like. We are just quite literally about to finalize that. It was just on a, another writing spree, so we're about to finalize our first uh, iteration of it. But uh, it's uh, it's 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 a governable uh, like it's a token that uh, is governable. Uh, the minting process can be governed uh, and all that stuff. Um, it is it is capped supply, uh, but uh, otherwise the, the exact details haven't been finalized yet. Hopefully, very soon though. Cool. Looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. Me too. Trust me. <laughs> It's, it's going to be scarce, right? It's going to be so many of them. You said capped. Yeah, it's capped. Yeah, it's capped. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Right. You know, if you if you ask economists, that's uh, that's the kiss of death. You should not do that. And no well, economist is going to look at, at Bitcoin and is going to be like, this is sound money. Well, uh, 
because we've tried, we've, we've gone to every economy, like a lot of economists, especially at Cornell, and they're like, no, this is not sound money. <laughs> Why? I don't understand that. How is it not sound money when it was at one point? Do we, do we just evolve away from it or we have different needs? Oh, man, like, what's a whole, their a whole different conversation. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, this is like, this is like a whole, yeah, it's like a whole, I mean, I wish I had uh, our, our chief economist. She can give you like a whole lecture on this. No, I mean, like, the biggest reason why why the U.S. dollar is 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 look for all of the bad that the Fed has you know there, there there's been some bad mistakes that the Fed has done for sure, but for all of the mistakes in the past, um, the Fed is actually you know it provides a critical function and that it stimulates the economy when it needs to be stimulated, and it uh, it reduces uh, you know growth when it's uh, way too aggressive. Uh, this is a critical function of it. This is exactly what it does. And this is not something that you can quite do with a uh, with a cap supply token, number one. And it just doesn't, you know, a cap supply token is the kind which inherently only sort of, you know, has the ability or rather has the, the tendency to, to be hoarded, uh, not necessarily to be spent and used and circulated around. Um, and this is just a different incentive model. So, you know, economists have studied this for a long time. Um, so, you know, really depending on who you ask, uh, if you ask economists, cap supply, Austrian economics is a, is a very bad model. I think that'd mm. be, I think that's worth a, a longer dive into in a different episode. Cause I, I'd be, I'd be more interested in talking about generic economic models and how different cryptocurrencies try to apply them with varying success rates. Oh, absolutely. No, we've had this conversation internally many times. And uh, there's fascinating stuff that to be talked about. In fact, probably one of the most fascinating conversations in crypto is exactly on the on on this you know on this topic. Quote unquote token uh, tokenomics, token economics. Yeah, tokenomics, exactly right. I just like really, uh, if you were to ask actual economists with decades of experience and like you know they they know what they're doing, um, very few would would fall under the Austrian Austrian model because they understand uh, you know there's this great book. Uh, by De Raulio, uh, Ray Dalio, that uh, that says uh, what is, uh, the, the the principles. Uh, it, it's all about credit cycles and debt cycles, and uh, these are critical for for really stimulating growth of the economy and then moving too fast. So you can't really do it outside of lending and borrowing, uh, and the only way to do that is through um, through a non-cap supply, or at least the only way that we know of uh, is through something like Keynesian economics. So uh, it's worth diving into it, although here's the end result. We're going to have a great conversation. If we ever have that conversation, at the end, it's going to be like, well, that's just your opinion, man. <laughs> We're just going to walk away. <laughs> of course. <yeah. laughs> like, just like your opinion, man. Uh, well, I, don't about, I think it's more of a learning process. Like, and most, most of the conversations I have um, in this space, I'm not, I'm not planning on either being right or being told that I'm right. It's more about learning more subtlety in a lot of these complex systems that we're trying to create so I can think about them better. Because at the end, like you're trying to build something new. Other people will try to build something new. And until they, and the better understanding they have about the, the ridiculous interdisciplinary nature of all of this stuff, the better they can it go really away is. doing that. It really is. And uh, as part of the team of designs, a whole new one, hopefully one to be, uh, you know, pretty well used. I am, you know, very anxious about what we're designing. Like, you know, I have to constantly think about, like, there's so many things that play into into it and there's so many design choices that we have to make constantly. And uh, so hopefully, hopefully we're making the right design choices. But 
we'll see. Uh, but the economic stuff, you know, as with all things crypto, I have seen very few times where somebody that is so ingrained in something says, oh, you know what? You've definitely changed my mind. It never happens in crypto. It's just a, <laughs> it's just a fight. And then at the end, you just sort of like shake your hand and uh, and then just move along. And then you're really just like, it's just like European, man. That's all it is. <laughs> uh, that's all it is in, in the space, which is sad. But in any case, that's another conversation. Yeah. Well, Corey, do you have any other questions? I don't think I have. Any. I can go on forever. But we're out of time. So. Yeah, who's making y'all's memes? That's what I want to know. Uh, we have we have the 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 meme ministry. It's literally called <laughs> ministry. So we, it's a it's a whole uh, it's a group of people you know just like in the community out there making them, and it's like the meme ministry is making them. Who's making them? That's that's them. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Kev, thank you for stopping by. Um, I like that you guys. The thing that piques my interest the most is like you're trying to be layer zero one somewhere in in between there um because there are a lot of problems with crypto and everybody sees it i think if you're on the outside looking in you hop into crypto twitter like you'd never come back it would be one day of like what the fuck is going on in there and then you're done and then and so absolutely absolutely uh, no, we're trying yeah we're trying I'll to solve say, real problems yeah. i'll say one thing you've uh you've managed to do something that i haven't seen done yet which is um basically convince colin that something is good yeah uh, yeah colin is. who is my, my, co- my co-host co-founder of hash get out uh, another one of the technical shows on the, on the network is it works for ava and consistently shills it uh and says yeah it's, yeah it's he's fantastic so, uh, he never he's really does that for anything so good job for him <laughs> he is he is he is one of our proudest hires so uh yeah no i am very happy to have him he is he is hardcore everything is bullshit i only see value in things if they're actually valuable uh, everything else is yeah is, is bullshit so is, I, the, fa- the fact that you say that it does mean a lot <laughs> all right well uh thanks for coming on the show uh real quick where can people find you where can they learn more uh go and uh see me troll ethereum on twitter at uh, kevin Sekniki. uh hopefully not too much trolling all right thanks man thank you very much